leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. Genesis chapter 15, we begin reading in verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. And he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace, and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. And when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Cadmonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Rephaites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Lord God, we bow before You today, thankful that we may be encouraged by Your promises, knowing that You are faithful. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, be seated. As you're being seated, you can look towards the screen and you see that big idea on our screen this morning. Be encouraged by the promises of God knowing that He is faithful. As we jump right into the text this morning, you remember what's taken place, that Abram's beginning to have doubts. He's beginning to have doubts about his life. He's beginning to have doubts about possible revenge. And he's having serious doubts about how he is going to be this great nation. God's already given him the promises that we just read about, that he is going to be given the land. He's already been given the promise that his descendants will be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. And yet, Abram comes again because after a decade, Abram wants to know, is your promise still good? Is your promise still in effect? Is what you told me still what's going to happen? You hear the doubt in Abram's voice because he said, I guess what's going to happen is Eliezer's going to get everything. 
Because you said I was going to have a kid, but that was a decade ago, and I don't have any kids. And I'm not any younger now, and it's become more difficult. And so he comes to God broken in a place where almost you would expect a rebuke from the Lord. Almost in a place where you expect God to, to come at him and say, Abram, I've told you this time and time again, but that's not what we get. Instead, one of the most beautiful promises in all of Scripture jumps off the page. And what's so amazing about this first verse is that when we read it together, we read words that we are going to see over and over again in Scripture, but we see them in Genesis 15 for the very first time. So when God speaks and it comes off the page, I want you to see this because it sets a pattern. Anytime you see a phrase or a word that is the first time it is spoken in Scripture, and now we see it is going to be a theme throughout Scripture, we recognize that this is such an important passage because it's setting the stage for us to understand who God is and how God operates throughout Scripture. So the first thing we see as God comes and speaks to Abram, it says this, after this, the Word of the Lord came. Do you see that in verse 1? That's the first time in Scripture that we see that. Now here's why that is absolutely important. The Word of the Lord came. It's talking about a God-breathed inspiration. A God-breathed promise that the words were from the Lord. All throughout Scripture, when God speaks, it is so. The very foundation of us believing that the Word of God is inerrant, inspired, infallible, and authoritative comes from our belief that when God speaks, it is factual, it is truth, and it will come to pass. So all throughout Scripture, when even you read in the prophets, the Word of the Lord, when you read in the New Testament that the God spoke, when you see the words of God, it is this divine initiative to speak unto man. And through that speech, now what we know that God's words are absolutely perfect. The Word of the Lord. Those of you that suffer with fear and anxiety and worry and phobias, what is it that you hang on to when you're walking through that? There are so many things that people are trying to hold on to, but one of the reasons that we magnify the Lord through magnifying His Word is that the one thing that you can and should hang on to is the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 7, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but what church? The Word of the Lord stands forever. When heaven and earth shall pass away, the one thing that will still exist are the words of God. And His promises are true. So when the Word of God speaks, when God begins to speak, what we know for Abram is this is not the first time he has heard the, word, the Lord speak. And I want you to know today that this is not the first time that you've heard the Lord speak. I'm not talking about you having an audible vision of the Lord. I'm talking about that every time that the Word of God is opened, every time the Word of God is read, every time you are exposed to the inerrancy of Scripture, the Word of God is speaking in and to your life because we have a holy, inspired canon. And so we hold on to that with all that we have, recognizing that the promises of God didn't fall, they did not fail Abram. 
They didn't fail Noah behind him. They didn't didn't fail Adam and Eve before him. They didn't fail David. They didn't fail Daniel. They didn't fail Joshua. They didn't fail Jonah. They didn't fail Peter. They didn't fail John. And friends, they're not going to fail you. So when you sit in the midst of a time where you wonder, how am I going to make it through the dark night of the soul? The answer is, you cling to the one thing that is steadfast and sure, and you know that the Word of God through the ages has spoken unto man and it's spoken unto you and you hold on to it with everything that you have. The Word of the Lord came unto Abram. But then we see something else the very first time that we see this spoken in Scripture. The first time we see this phrase uttered and you will see it uttered over and over and over again in Scripture. And He calls him by name and He says, Do not be afraid, Abram. What a blessed and powerful promise of Scripture. What if in your time of devotion, in your time of prayer, you took that one phrase and you meditated on that one phrase and you read it over and over again till it seared itself onto your soul so that you take whatever that worry or whatever that fear or whatever that anxiety or whatever that phobia is before the Lord And you read it until you believe it. And you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the faith to believe that God's promises are true. And you let God speak to you. And you place your name there. Do not fear. All throughout Scripture, we see God giving that as an encouragement. Do not be discouraged and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. We see it in the words of Jesus. My favorite statement, when and He said this over and over again, But my favorite place in the Gospels is in John 14 when God is speaking there to the disciples and what does He tell them? Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in Me. Do not fear. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not become discouraged and do not become dismayed. You say, how can I do that? The reason you can do that is because you know your victory chant. We sang it this morning. What is your victory chant? Your victory chant is what? One word, which is? It's what? Hallelujah. And because the reason it's hallelujah is because we know that our God is faithful. We know that every promise is true. We know that the greatest promise that He ever made, that He would send His only begotten Son... And that son would die and he would rise again and he would forgive sins. Lord, if we believe that, then what reason do we have to be discouraged or dismayed or to fear? Do not be afraid. And as if that weren't enough, in one verse of Scripture, there's another statement that God makes that ends up being a theme throughout Scripture and the tone is set for it right here in this first verse because what does God tell Abram about his character? What does God tell Abram about who God is? How does God describe Himself in this first verse? I am your what? Shield. First time we see it in Scripture, but we're going to see it over and over and over again. In fact, this is the first time that God has described His own character, and that is the word He chooses to use, that He is a shield. We see God... It's talked about as a shield throughout Scripture, as a fortress, as our strength, as our shield, as our tower of refuge over and over and over again. So it is as if we already see a a foreshadowing of Romans 8.31. If God be for you, what church? 
Who could be against you? Why? Because you have a shield that is the Lord your God. You have a fortress in which you hide behind Him. He is my refuge and He is my strength. He is my ever-present help in trouble. The reason that we look fears in the face, the reason that our stresses and our anxieties and our worries we do not allow to overcome us but it's because He is our shield. There are fiery darts of the evil one that will be fired at you. They will be fired at you at your best of times and at your worst of times, but you have a shield. There will be temptations that come flying at you, but you have a shield. There will be discouragement from your own flesh that comes at you, but you have a shield. And the, God says, I am your protector. I am your shield, which is exactly why Isaiah could say, Isaiah 54, verse 17. Some of you know this passage well. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. I'm so glad He's my shield. I'm so glad I don't have to be my own defender because the arrows would pierce. I need one stronger than I am. And it is absolutely amazing that in the revealed Word of God, all of this is in one verse. All of this is just in chapter 15, verse 1. So if we were to take everything that we've seen here, the Word of the Lord came. Do not be afraid. I am your shield. It brings Abram and it brings you and I to this one practical, beautiful, needed application. And that is this. That in your darkest moments, that in your, on your darkest days, in the times of the most worry and anxiety, the call that God is making on Abram's life and on your life is simply this. Quit focusing on your problem. Quit focusing on your fears. Quit focusing on your anxieties. Quit focusing on your worries and start focusing on the God who is Lord over them all. That's the message of chapter 15, verse 1. And yet, in the midst of this, we see Abram engage in what is an incredibly honest prayer. Sometimes, I really believe that if we want to grow in faith, we need to learn to pray like the saints. And sometimes, those prayers are magnificently filled with faith and sometimes they are raw and they are honest. And Abram comes before the Lord and it's almost as if he says, I, I hear what you said, but I don't have a kid. I haven't claimed any land. I'm going to have to leave everything I've got to a servant. So it's great that you're telling me this, but even though I'm hearing you, I still need some assurance. I still need you to reassure me about what's going on. And so God steps in and He gives him this very specific promise. Verse 4, This man will not be your heir, but one who is a son of your own flesh. He tells him how many descendants that he's going to have. And further as we read into the passage, He reassures him about all of the land that Abram is going to inherit, that his people are going to claim. What's fascinating about this passage is that Abram had already waited a decade and it would be 15 more years before Isaac would be born. And sometimes, and I'm so guilty of this and I'm so convicted about this in my own life, is that when I, I look at the way God operates, God doesn't always do it the way I think God ought to do it. I'm just being honest. Sometimes it doesn't go like I think it ought to go. Sometimes He doesn't deal with people the way I think He ought to deal with people. Sometimes He doesn't fix the situation like I think He ought to fix the situation. 
And in my arrogance and in my pride, there are times when maybe a lot like Abram, I'm going, you made this promise, and if you can make it come true later, why not make it come true now? I know what I want, and I want it now, right? So you need to hear today, those of you that are living in worry and anxiety and fear, that God has made promises, but God's not on your timetable. That before the existence of the world, there was God. He always has been and always will be. So what that means is He operates in time, though He is outside of time. And that's an important point to make because it requires us sometimes to be patient. We wait on the Lord. How many of you in here struggle with that? You're just honest. Like I, I want to be more patient. But part of the stress and part of the anxiety and part of the worry and part of the fear that we have is because waiting on the Lord is not always easy. It's not always easy to trust in God's timing. To grow while you're waiting. To believe in God in spite of the circumstances that are taking place. And then, almost like it explodes off the pages of Scripture. This verse of Scripture is going to set the tone everything else genesis chapter 15 verse 6 it ought to be highlighted in your bible it ought to be because what we are seeing for the very first time jumping off the pages of scripture is a beautiful short statement in scripture of the essence of what the gospel is that he believed god and it was credited to him as righteousness now we need to talk about this and the reason it's important is this passage is used over and over again throughout the New Testament to prove that people receive salvation. How? By grace, through faith. This not of yourselves, so that no man should boast. How was Abram saved? People say, well, how were Old Testament saints saved? How were Old Testament saints saved? Anybody know? This By faith. How were New Testament saints saved? By faith. You say, I, I wish I'd have lived in the Old Testament. No, I'm glad I live in the New Covenant because their faith was required to be faith in something that was to come. We have faith in something that's already taken place, right? So Abram is saved by faith and then it says it is credited to him as righteousness. That means he didn't earn it. That means that the Lord gave him something. That's the doctrine of grace. And why I think this passage is so important and why we have to put it in its context is that Abram was weak in his faith. He was faltering in his faith. I'm so glad that God made the statement in 15.6 where he did. This was not in a moment of Abram's greatest faithful moments. This might have been one of the weakest moments of faith. It's when he was struggling. He, he wasn't believing God that he was going to have a kid. He wasn't believing God that they were going to claim the land. He was scared to death of repercussions. He's thinking about his own death. And in the midst of that, in the midst of this honest conversation with the Lord, out of the pages of Scripture steps the sovereignty and grace of God. He credited it to him as righteousness. Justification by faith alone. And what we see now is this becomes a dominant theme throughout all of Scripture. You can't earn your salvation. You can only receive it as an undeserved gift of grace. So some have said, well, is this when Abram was saved? No, I think that we see that Abram had many times believed God, but we are told here in this particular passage that it was credited to him as righteousness. 
This was a t- one time of many that Abram would believe God. But I think that this is so important to note that this wasn't after some great achievement on the part of Abraham, but during a time of doubt and fear, which is why you need to hear me when I tell you what I'm about to tell you. So many people evaluate their faith based on how they feel at the moment. How do you think Abram would have evaluated himself in Genesis 15? As extremely faithful or struggling? I'll just give you two options. Which, how do you think he would have described himself? Struggling. And yet it was in the midst of that struggle that God said that he credited it to him as righteousness. That he believed God. Some of you are waiting to have a perfect faith. And I can tell you, fallen creatures do not have perfect faith. But you do have a perfect God. And with the faith that we have, He comes and He justifies us and credits us to us as righteousness. Not that our faith was perfect and not that we are perfect, but in spite of the fact that our faith is imperfect and our actions are imperfect and our thoughts are imperfect and all of ourselves are imperfect, that it is credited to us as righteousness. Thank God for the imputed righteousness that comes for those of us who by faith have trusted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I am saved by grace through faith. And when I stand before the Lord, neither me nor Abram nor any of you will be able to stand before the Lord and say well I sure am glad I got what I deserve no you'll stand before the Lord and say oh God thank you for crediting this to me as righteousness when on my own I was wicked and unfaithful but Lord you alone deserve the glory because the God of grace and the God of the good news of the gospel set it set you apart and justified you freely praise God the gospel exists from Genesis to Revelation And yet Abram again, verse 8. Now this is some audacity in prayer. You've seen this? God has made some bold promises and bold statements. And what does Abram say? How can I know? Prove it to me. Show me. And then we have this wild story. Of God saying, hey, go get some animals and let's cut them in half and put them on each side of the road. That's weird, right? Blood everywhere, dead animals on the side of the road, vultures trying to eat the animals. Abram's running the vultures off the sides of the road, smoking fire pots going through the middle of it. What in the world? What in the world? Now, just really basically, let me help you to kind of see what's happening in this passage. If you understand historically how treaties were ratified, and and this is even extra biblical sources have helped us to understand this, what you would do is if you and I made an agreement, if we had a contract, the way that we would ratify that contract is you would take an animal and you would split the animal in half and then you'd place one on each side of a path. And both people would walk through the midst of the dead animal And what it symbolized was, let the same thing happen to me if I break the covenant that I have made with you. I thought about with all the liars and cheats that we have in our world today, maybe we ought to start cutting animals apart and causing people to walk through them. Maybe your word should be your bond and your yes should be yes and your no should be no. But the amazing part about this is not just Abram walking through this, it's that God 
move through this. It is God telling Abram, may what you have seen today, the desecration and the death, may it happen to me if I don't do what I've told you I'm going to do. In other words, I am God and I keep my word. Thank God He does not lie. He does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's what we see jumping off the pages of Scripture. And what we now know is, you may read this and say, has all of this come to pass? Here's what's so incredible. That even today, even at their height, even at the largest that Israel ever was under Solomon's rule by territory, they had only claimed about a third of what God promised Abram. So what we now know is that it took faith then, but it still takes faith. Because guess what? The God of Abram is still our God and God's promises are still true. And what we know is that God writes the pages of history. And what we know is that God's promise to Abram, just as sure as Isaac was born, just as sure as his descendants became as numerous as the stars of the sky, what we also know is that God's promise is not only to Israel, but God's promise to those of us who are now co-heirs with Abraham because we have been adopted as sons of God what we know is that God has never failed on one of His promises. I don't think we should miss the foreshadowing that takes place in this passage. There are animals that have been broken and bruised and their blood spilled. And it was God's covenant of saying, I am going to keep my word to you. On a hill called Mount Calvary, there was a body that was broken and there was blood that was spilled. And as we look upon that mount and that blood and that broken body, what we recognize is that God kept His ultimate promise. His ultimate promise that you and I would have a Redeemer. Ultimate promise that now what our inheritance is is even greater than what Abram could have understood his inheritance to have been at the time. And that is that yes, there is a promised land, a literal promised land that is going to be restored to Israel. That's by the way why I stand with Israel. There is a literal promise that is coming to Israel, but also, friends, to all of us who have made the name of God. We have come before the Lord and we are His children. There is a promise coming to you and it is even greater than the earthly land that is going to be given to the Jews. The Bible tells us that there is coming a new heaven and a new earth and that you and I as adopted children of God, as co-heirs with Christ, as citizens of the kingdom of God, stand to inherit it all. And maybe you today, you fear and you worry and maybe like Abram, you look at God and you say, oh God, how can I know? And God would look at you and He would say, look to Golgotha and look to the cross. Look to the broken body and the spilled blood because what I have done shows that I am faithful and true and that I absolutely can be trusted. So when it all comes down to it, here is the biggest question of your life. Can God be trusted do you trust god i'm not saying your fears 
aren't real. I'm not saying your issues aren't real. I'm not saying your problems aren't real or that you don't even have reason to have anxiety. What I'm asking you today is, do you trust God? Leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known.